So this morning in this message, I am going to be dealing with the biblical topics of calling and election. And the reason that I'm doing that is because this passage deals with those topics. And that's just, that's how we roll here. When the scripture deals with it, we're working through a passage, uh, we have to deal with it. That is my job. I am, I would be negligent. I would be malpractice to skip over something. Uh, just because if it's something that, if it excites me and I chose, well, then I have to do it. But if it didn't excite me and I didn't want to do it, I mean, I do like talking about this. I think it is something that gets my heart going. For maybe you, it does. Maybe there are people out here as well that, you know, you hear this and you start rattling the cage. You're like, yeah, let's start talking about this. And I know there's probably others that are like, oh, no, what is, or what are we going to be taught? What is this going to say? And you're, you're worried, you're concerned. Sometimes that is because there are misunderstandings that we've had about this topic. Maybe you have been uh, told things or taught things that were less than helpful about this. And if that's the case, I hope that some of the things that we'll talk about today would be helpful, helpful to you. Uh, maybe there are things that we've misunderstood, uh, especially early on in our Christian life or when we're not Christians. We assume, well, if this is true, it must mean this, and that sounds terrible. But maybe that's not what Scripture is teaching at all. So we want to take a look, what is Scripture talking about here when it talks about calling and it talks about uh, election? This is not talking about election of presidents. This is talking about the the election of of believers. And we're going to take a look and see what this says. But even more, this message is really about assurance. Because these are not just two words that appear in this passage. Peter is using these terms for a specific reason. And in this message, when it talks about confirming your calling or election, or as it's put in the, the King James and the New King James, to, to make your calling and election sure, what is the point of this? Is it just an intellectual exercise? Is it something to get uh, Christians uh, riled up or maybe having a uh, confrontation against each other and I like this, I don't like this? No, there is the purpose that God has in this passage And in this passage, it's dealing with assurance for us. How can we have genuine assurance, genuine confidence of our salvation? To know that that you have been saved, that you are right with God. That's the point of all of this. And we're going to be dealing with that, this assurance of salvation. And some people really struggle with this. There are some believers I know that that really struggle. How could you know God love me? I am such a sinner, and this just doesn't. This seems beyond what could really be possible. So I must have this wrong. And uh, I sometimes people find it so hard to believe that they are right with God, that they are secure, that Christ will hold them fast and continue to do so. Some people struggle with it. Some people also have have false assurance. There's a lot of people in the world that have false assurance. They think they are good, but they're really not. It's been pointed out that there are, there are really four types of people. And I think this is helpful before we even get into this. There are four types of people when we think about assurance, when we think about uh, being sure of your salvation. One would be unsaved people who are sure that they are unsaved. They are unsaved and they know it. They know that they're in rebellion against God. Uh, maybe they try to pretend that God doesn't even exist because they don't want him to exist. So they do their best to suppress it. They know they're not right with God. 
and they know that they would be in trouble, so they do everything they can to try and not think about that, push that out of their mind, and uh, medicate themselves with the things of the world to, to forget about that truth, but they're unsaved and they know it. At least they know it, at least they realize it. Next, there are saved people who are sure that they are saved. And I'll tell you of these four, this is the best one. This is what God wants for you. He wants you to be saved, and he wants you to know it. He wants you to have assurance, uh, a deep and growing assurance, that, a confidence that you are saved for real, and that it's the real thing. But then there's two other possibilities. And one would be unsaved people who are sure that they are saved. They're at least sure in their minds that they are saved, that they are good with God, but they are not. They have a false assurance. Jesus talked about this in, in Matthew seven twenty one through 23. Jesus said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, he's talking about the day of judgment, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty wonders, works in your name? And then I will declare to them, this is so scary, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. These are people, they were convinced that they were right with God, that they planned to show up on the day of judgment, and Lord, Lord, here I am, aren't you glad to see me? And they will be told by the Lord on that day, I never knew you. You were never right with me. This is a scary, this is a terrible thing, and I think this is a situation that so many people find themselves in. Across our land, even in churches, according to one survey from a number of years ago, 73% of Americans believe in hell. 2% expect to end up there. Shows even among those that recognize that that God exists and that there's heaven and that there's hell. And when this survey was done, it was still 73%. But just this minute portion think, well, I'm, I'm actually in danger of going there. And I'd love to believe it'd be great if it was only 2% that actually were in danger, but... It's, it's many that are in danger. And so many people are, are in this third category, and they're, they're deluded. They think that they're right with God, but they're really not. Then there's also the possibility for here of saved people who are unsure that they are saved. People that are saved, uh, they have a level of confidence, a level of faith in Christ, but they're plagued with doubts, that there's uncertainty. There's times when uh, the enemy is uh, battering against your heart, there's doubts that you have, times that we don't feel and have that, that subjective sense of assurance that God wants us to have. And you may find yourself in that camp. Of course, the trick is to know, are you in that camp or are you in one of these others? So my hope and my prayer for you that would be that uh, this morning or very, very soon, that you, if you are not saved and confident of your salvation, that God would help you to that soon. That you would come to him. If you are unsaved, the big thing that you need to do is to turn to Christ and be saved. And then once you are saved, to grow in that confidence. And that's what Peter is going to be telling us to do, how we can grow in this confidence and this assurance. So, 
let us uh, get into this passage. Uh, We're going to focus on verses 10 and 11, but I want to back up and start reading with verse 5 because it all connects together. And when we read this, thinking about assurance, again, this is going to be talking about election. It's going to be talking about calling. And election and calling sometimes is a big reason why people have these problems with assurance because they start to think to themselves, well, how can I know if I am elect? If you have to be elect to be saved, how do I figure this out ahead of time? You know, how do I look and find out this, this spiritually? And what if I'm not elect? And I want to come to Christ and I just can't because I, I'm not on the reservation list. We're going to see that there, yes, there are secret things and things that, that we can't know that God knows. And you can't know everyone who is elect and not elect. We just can't. But believers can know that they were called and elect by God. We can have real assurance and God wants us to have this. So let's start reading. We'll back up with verse 5, which was last week's, because we have to interpret our verses today in light of this. Verse 5. For this very reason, and here he's talking about, when he he talks about this, he's talking about God's uh, grace in our lives, that we're saved by the righteousness of Christ, not our own righteousness. That it's his divine power that's given everything we need, God's grace. And it goes on, verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Now, verse 10, these are our verses for today. Therefore, okay, so therefore it connects to what came before this. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. All right, let's deal with these, these deep truths. And so, first of two main points that I want to give to you is that calling and election are biblical teachings. So, you know, we can say, let's not deal with this. This is controversial. Maybe I don't like it, or maybe you do like it. Let's just let's skip over this. It would be malpractice to do so. For me and for us, we have to deal with what is in Scripture. They're in this passage. They're in other places in Scripture, too. We have to understand them and what is being said here. And what we're going to see is that, on one hand, yes, from our perspective, and and there's truth to this, that if you're a believer, when you came to Christ, you did so willingly. That you were offered salvation in Christ and that you willingly came to him and you received Jesus Christ as your Savior. And that is, that is true. We're going to see there is human responsibility. There's an obligation for us to, to turn and to, to believe in Jesus Christ for salvation. But we're going to see that Scripture also teaches us, and this is easier for us to see as believers when we look back on what God has, had been doing in our lives. When we look, we look beneath the surface and what's going on in our heart and what had happened to us, we're going to see that 
the reason that we willingly came to Christ is because there was a work of God going on in our hearts. There was a work of God going in our hearts when you turned to Christ to be saved. And this involved both these uh, terms of calling and election that we are mentioning here in this message. So I just want to talk a little bit calling and election, what these things mean. Uh, when we talk about this type of calling that it has here, this is, today we're not talking about the kind of calling that we talked about, uh, was it a year ago, when we did a whole series on uh, work and callings. And we did that, we talked about that it's not just pastors that are called into ministry, that all Christians are called to serve God, and that if you have a, a profession in the world, a job that is a noble job, a good job, it is, it is a, a calling that you have. That's why we call it a vocation, because it means calling. But that's not what we're talking about here. Okay, this is a specific calling unto, unto salvation. So this is uh, not a calling to a life situation or a job. We're also not talking about just a general calling, that sometimes there are places in Scripture where it's a reference to, there's a general call of the gospel that goes out to everyone that says, if you turn to Christ, you will be saved, and you ought to turn it is, it is your duty to turn to Christ and to be saved. Uh, that, is, that is true. It's called general calling. But we're talking about here what is sometimes called the, the efficacious calling. It's an effectual calling. We'll define it like this. This calling is a work, the work of the Holy Spirit by which God effectively turns the heart of a rebel sinner to Jesus Christ for salvation. This is the type of calling um, that would be kind of like when Jesus called to Lazarus and he was dead in his tomb and Jesus called out, come forth. And he did. He didn't sit around and say, well, maybe I should, maybe I shouldn't. He, it just it caused him to, to, to come forth. I think of this type of calling as, as God, through his Holy Spirit, shooting a harpoon into your heart that, that turns you and pulls you to him. That he is he's drawing, he is, he's bringing you to himself with this type of calling. And I want to show you some scripture in a little bit that I think demonstrates that there is this type of calling and this type is, is always effective. This is always effectual. God uh, gets his man in this. He turns us to himself. It's not just a, a wooing that you can uh, disregard if you wanted to do that. Um, pulling us to himself. So when we say this, it's a work of the Holy Spirit. He's turning the hearts. He's turning the hearts of rebel sinners. That naturally we are turned against God because of sin. That we come into this world because of the sin of our first parents, Adam and Eve, way back. We come into this world with our hearts turned in the wrong direction. We have the wrong loves, the wrong desires. We have sin deep down within us. It's called original sin. Talk about total depravity. It, it goes way down to the core. And because of this, naturally, if God left us to our own, we would reject God and walk in the other direction forever. That is what we would willingly do. Now, I want to make it clear. All people have the responsibility and the, obligation, the opportunity to respond to the gospel for salvation if they are willing. Okay, if you're willing... You have the opportunity, you can respond to that. But the deeper problem that we see in Scripture and we see in our hearts, the deeper problem is that rebel sinners 
are naturally unwilling to turn to Christ. But it's through this grace of the effectual calling that God changes the heart of the sinner from being unwilling to being willing. So that we don't come to him unwilling, okay, but he changes our hearts so that we, be, we become willing through his work that he does that is in our hearts. Uh, because we are, we're dead in our sins. This is what it talks about in Ephesians chapter 2. It doesn't say that we're just, we're just sick in our sins. And we just need a little bit of medication, a little bit of help that we can, we can call out for and we can do our part. When we've talked about growth in the Christian life. This is after we're saved, after we're made alive. So it makes sense, like we talked about last week, where it says to, to make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and all these things. And that's actually after you've been brought back to spiritual life. But when you're dead, there's not a lot you can do on your own. When you're Lazarus in the tomb, so to speak, you need a miracle to, to jumpstart you and get you going again. And that's this work of God, this effectual calling. So yes, on our perspective, we willingly came to him. But when we look behind the scenes as far as what was really happening, God was working in our hearts so that this, this would happen. So this is, this is calling, but it also talks about election. And the election here that it's going to be talking about is, this is not merely election to, to service, but this is, this is election to salvation. Uh, it can also be translated as, as chosen. You see that in Scripture a lot where it talks about those that are, those that are chosen. So election here means to be chosen by God in advance for salvation. So these are the things that we are, we're talking about. To be chosen, we see it chosen unconditionally. If God just looked ahead and said, well, who's just going to on their own come to me? That would be exactly zero people. You know, if you went to the graveyard and said, how many of these uh, corpses are going to just come to life on their own? And, and then I'll decide to choose them. That would be zero because corpses can't do that. There needs to be a miracle of God. And this new birth, it is, is the miracle of God, and he works in our heart, and he, and, he, and he calls us to himself. And I think this is what makes sense in this passage, because Peter is talking about this type of calling and election uh, resulting in us not falling away, but entering the kingdom of heaven. So election here means to be chosen by God in advance for salvation. And think of this. If God knows that, that we are, our deep problem is that we're rebel sinners, we're unwilling to come to him. And if he has to do this decisive work of the Holy Spirit by which he calls us, he harpoons our hearts and turns us to him, he changes us from being unwilling to being willing, God is not surprised then with who ends up being saved. I mean, when God created this world, he knew how things were going to play out. He knew our choices. He knew what he was going to do. He knew what, what he was going to do, how it would affect us and change our hearts. And so ultimately, salvation is not by, by human works or choice, or none would be saved. And God knows, according to his, his plan or his decree, who he will effectually call, and, and these, are the, these are the elect. Now, I want to think, well, why is this biblical? I want to look at a few other passages. There's a lot more we could look at, okay? But one... Romans 8.30 talks about some of these things, uh, but I especially want to focus on the word called here because I want to demonstrate that this is a reference to this effectual calling. It has to be. It wouldn't make sense for this to be just the general call, the general offer of salvation. And through the, the preaching in, in the church each week, we give a general call. We implore you every single week, 
we implore you to come to Christ to be saved. And I believe that God and the Spirit is working through that and, and calling you. But this is a type of call that, that actually changes the heart. Because notice what it says. It has this chain, and it says those he, he predestined, and if you're predestined to salvation, that's what it means to be chosen or elect, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. Justified means to be declared righteous. It's like when a judge takes a gal, I declare you righteous. Uh, so even though we're sinners, when you're justified by faith, it means that God says, in my eyes, as the ultimate judge of the universe, you are no longer guilty of your sins. In fact, I credit you with the perfect law-keeping and righteousness of Jesus Christ, who is your substitute. That's what justified means. And then, the last in this chain is to be glorified. And for us as believers, this is still future. We're not glorified yet. That's why we still deal with sin. That's why we still have bodies that, that break down. But it is a guaranteed thing. And that's why in this passage, Paul can write like it is, it is locked in place, because it is. I think of this, you have this chain, that if you had a, a, a five-gallon uh, bucket full of ping-pong balls, okay, and if there are 500 ping-pong balls in this bucket, when it goes from one step to the other, God's not dropping any of these ping-pong balls, Okay? So everyone that he's uh, in his plan, he's predestined to eternal life, uh, is uh, called. And everyone that is called gets justified. That's what this is. It doesn't say some who he called he justified. And then everyone that he justified, he also will glorify. There are no, there's no spillage. He's not dropping any along the way. And you can thank God for that. What would it be like if, okay, you're justified now, but man, he might, he might lose you. You might get dropped. Maybe he won't hold you fast. And you're going to go to hell. No, we can believe that God is teaching us here and promising to us that when he has you, he has you all the way. He doesn't lose any of those that he has. So with that in mind, this type of calling has to be effectual. It has to be effective. Otherwise, you couldn't say that every one of those that are called are also justified, that are also saved. That's part of this link that's sometimes called the golden chain in this uh, great verse. Second Thessalonians 2, 13 through 14. I want to point this out now one more after this and then a few more that you can write down and look at and study on your own. But we're going to see that called and chosen, or yeah, chosen and called are used together quite a bit in Scripture. And we're going to see here, well, I like this because it talks about, well, quite a few things, but it also lets us know that this is unto salvation. It says, uh, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the first fruits to be saved. So this isn't just you know, chosen to serve God. It's chosen to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Okay, God calls us with the gospel message. He saves you with the gospel and with the Holy Spirit, not apart from it. But this is how he works that salvation in your, in your heart and your life. And belief in the truth, to this he called you through our gospel, that you may obtain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So again, the end of this is glorification, being with him forever, having all of our our sin and corruption uh, wiped away, done with forever, resurrected bodies, just all these great things. And then, we don't have time to do a whole message on each of these, 
But 1 Corinthians, this is chapter 1, 26 through 31, and I'm pointing this out, it uses call, calling and it uses chosen a few different times, but if, you, if you're thinking, well, okay, this is just going to lead to pride, you know, who is, I? looking back, turns out I'm elect, so look at me, I must be better than everyone, and God must have chose me, because I am, I'm, he chose me because I am just, I'm a choice person. You know, I mean, you go to this, you go to the, the butcher and you get the choice meat and it's the best meat. That must mean what God is saying about me. No, it's not. <laughs> it's not at all. God is doing this uh, not for our glory. He's doing it for his glory. And this passage makes it really, really clear. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing those that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ. It's not because of us, it's because of him. That you are in Christ, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. So that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. If you're a Christian, you really understand this. You should be the most humble of all. Because you realize that, you know, if God working behind the scenes, uh, planned out this world in the way that, that I become saved, it's not because I'm the best and brightest. It's not because I'm the most holy, the holy guy. It's not because there's all these good things about me that he said, I, I want that one. Instead, God is showing how great he is by, by choosing chumps like me to save. And if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'm not the wisest person here. I'm, I'm not the, the greatest. I'm not this. Well, guess what? Good news. God tends to choose people like us to show his, his greatness. He chooses the weak to, to shame the strong. He chooses what is despised in this world and what is lowly. And so through all of this, if this tempts you to pride at all, it shouldn't. It should, it should cause us to have humility and to give glory to him. This way of salvation, this brings glory to God alone. We get the grace, God gets the glory. It's a beautiful thing. Other verses you could look at, said Ephesians 1, 4 through 5, Romans 9, 11, Romans 11, 5 through 7, 1 Thessalonians 1, 4, John 6, 44, Acts 13, 48. If you don't have those written down, you'll have to get them from the video later on. But, I think we, just to deal with a few misunderstandings before we move on, we need to realize election, it properly understood, this biblical teaching, it does not turn people into puppets. Okay, it does not take away human responsibility. We still have the responsibility to turn to Christ. That is still something that, that you are called to do. That, and it is us doing it. God is working in us so that we are willing, but we are still the ones doing it. And you do not need to worry that there might be someone who genuinely wants to come to Christ, but they just can't because they're not elect. Uh, that's a common thing to think. What if there's someone that they want to come to Christ and they're just like, oh, I'm not on the list, I can't come. That never, ever, ever happens. So biblically, that is not the case ever. And again, if God left us to ourselves, we would all decline we would all keep running away from him. That's what we would willingly do because we're sinners. We're not neutral people. And so we also need to realize, if, if, we're, if we're trying to picture this in our minds, um, 
it's not as if God ever takes someone that is a good person and decides, well, in my plan, I'm going to make you into a bad person. I'm going to make you into someone that rejects me. In fact, it's not even that God ever even takes somebody that is just neutral and <clears throat> makes them reject him. We all come into this world, our default setting is as sinners, as rebels against God, with sinful hearts, that our default setting is, I reject God, I want nothing to do with him. That's what it means to be a sinner, that's what our heart is. The only thing that God does, he, he will have grace and mercy and turn you so that you do accept him working in your heart, or he gives you what you want and is to be left alone from him. But if he leaves you in that way, you are willingly going to do what you want to do, which is to reject him and end up apart from him forever. And to be apart from God forever is to end up bearing the consequences, the condemnation, eternal torment away from God, bearing the, the wrath for our own sins. Instead of realizing that there was, that God was offering you and pleading with you to accept salvation through the perfect man, the perfect God-man that paid the price for sinners that offered you this salvation. There's a great illustration and <clears throat> of you know salvation and they talk about imagine that there's this gate. There's this big gate and when you look at this gate it has written from a book of revelation whoever will may come. And that's true. And so we see if you want to go through the gate, you go through the gate and you decide you come to Jesus Christ. But then as a Christian, as you look back and you look on the other side of the gate, you see that it has phrase from Ephesians, chosen in Christ before the foundation of the world. So on one hand, it's true that whoever will may come. God wants you to come to him. But as Christians, we can look back and see that God was doing this work in our heart and he gets the glory for all of this. So this passage that we're looking at um, had said to in verse 10, therefore, brothers, be all the diligent to confirm your calling and election. But now we have to look at, okay, with that in mind, what is Peter actually telling us? What is he telling us what to do? How does this fit with assurance? And so now that we have that in mind, second part of this message, Christians can have assurance of their calling and election by seeing their faith and their fruit. By looking at, by seeing and realizing two things I'm going to lay out to you. Uh, your faith, what is your faith in? And do you have this? And also fruit. What is being produced in your life? What changes are there? What effects are there? And we need to understand this in the right way. Let me read the passage again. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So again, notice here that it's, it starts by saying, therefore, brothers. And that term, it's referring to brothers and sisters. It's not just talking about males. But, it's talking, but it is talking about those that are Christians. So this is specifically talking to Christians. This is going to be uh, an important thing to keep in mind. These are people that are already saved. So he's not talking about this is how you get saved to begin with. Instead, this is how you, you confirm this to yourself. You make yourself sure of the fact that you are saved, that you realize that, that you can have this assurance. If you weren't already saved, he wouldn't be calling the people he's writing to brothers. So he's talking to Christians. 
And then he says, be all the more diligent, which means we are supposed to put forth effort. He talked before in last week's message about when he said, verse 5, make every effort to grow in these different qualities. And we walk through these eight different qualities that Christians were supposed to grow in. And we said when you're, you're born again, you're like a newborn baby, you have these organs, like a baby has organs, but, but you grow in them. And if you're not growing, you better check your pulse because does it mean you're a real baby or does it mean you're like a, just a, a replica of a baby? Real babies grow. They need food, they need exercise, uh, they need you know, training, they need all this, but real babies grow. And that's a sign of life. And for us, we're going to see that growing, having these qualities, growing in these qualities is evidence that you have been made alive, that you have been actually born again in Christ. But we need to be diligent about it. If you were diligent in growing, we need to be, he says, all the more diligent to, to confirm this, to, to make this sure, part of this process. And when it says confirm here, it means to, to make sure. I already quoted that the, the King James says it that way, and I, I gave a hat tip to the, the King James for the title of this message because I just like how it says that, uh, to make your calling and election sure, to make it, make it certain to yourself. To, make, to know that you really are saved. And here's the thing. This is the truth. If you know that you are saved, you know that you are called an elect. So if you're like, well, I've got to figure out if I'm called an elect. Okay, the way to do that is know if you are saved. If you are saved, everyone that is saved is called an elect. Uh, from our perspective, um, you know, we think that we're called, but... Uh, if, and we realized that before that, that God elected it. He set this up for this to, to happen. He knew what was going to play out. He, he did everything that was necessary for this to happen. But you don't start with that. You don't first decide, well, I've got to figure out if I'm elect and then figure it out. But as believers, we can look back. I'm saved. Obviously, uh, that means that God did this in my life, that he brought me to salvation. And then he chose to bring me to salvation. So in a way, it's as, it's as simple as that. It's as simple as knowing for sure if you really are saved. And that's the most important thing here. Are you going to walk out of here knowing that you're saved, or are you going to be unsure? Or are you going to be someone that you're, you're not saved and you know it or you're okay with that? This is about having assurance of salvation, being sure that you're not a false Christian, a fake in Second Peter, in chapter 2, he's going to be talking about all these false teachers. And some of those probably had deluded themselves that they were right with God, and they're not. They're like those that the Lord would say, be gone, I never knew you. We have to make sure we're not that type. Now, I tried to think about, if I was somebody that I, I didn't want to believe the Bible teaches uh, election or calling or these type of things, how would I try to understand this passage? And I thought, well, maybe one of the ways I could try to think of it would be, maybe I would try to say, well, when it says to, to confirm your calling, maybe it means that God offers kind of a general calling and a general election that goes out to everyone. That he's like, well, I, I call and I choose all of you, but now you need to ratify that. And it's not really official until you do. You know, I'm choosing you, but now you, you have to supply your vote and uh, decide this. Okay, so if I wasn't, if I didn't believe in calling election, maybe that's how I would try to explain this verse. But I realize, well, that doesn't work. One, he's talking to people that are already believers. And also he's saying, if you are 
practicing these qualities, that's how you have this assurance. So if you had to confirm your salvation by practicing these qualities, and that's how you get saved to begin with, that would mean you're saved by faith plus works. And the Bible definitely teaches we are not saved by faith plus works. Saved by faith alone, by trusting in the finished work of Jesus Christ alone, not by our good deeds or trying hard or all these things that we do. So I think there's two ways that we have this confirmation. One is by seeing our faith and the other is by seeing our fruit. Examining that and realizing if it's a real thing that it is there. So one, examine your faith. And maybe a way, question when you ask yourself is, have I turned to the Lord Jesus Christ in repentant faith, trusting in Christ alone as my substitute? Do you trust in Jesus Christ that he is the God-man, fully God, fully man, that he came and he lived the perfect life as your substitute, that he died on the cross, shedding his blood as your substitute? Can you really say Christ died for me? He paid the price for me, and I believe that. Or is your faith in something else? Are you trusting in your good works? Or you have a kind of split. You're kind of trusting in Christ, but you're hedging your bet and saying, well, I'm still going to trust in maybe some human ceremonies, or I'm going to still try real hard. So what am I really trusting in? And, and th- this is the main thing. Okay, this is the thing ultimately that really matters, because we are saved by faith alone. But the Bible also points to our fruit as further evidence to us that gives confirmation that we are saved. So we are also to examine the fruit in our life. The fruit is what is being produced in our life. Are there good works? Is there a change in life that we have? For example, the qualities that Peter mentioned already in this chapter. Do you have those? Are you growing in those? These are signs that you have spiritual life, that you have been born again instead of just remaining dead in your sins. Are you growing in them and growing consistently? This does not mean perfection, okay? This does not mean have I, am I completely, have I arrived and I never even struggle with sin? By the way, when people tell me that they're struggling with sin, I take that, that is a good sign of life. Okay? Because before you were a Christian, you didn't struggle against your sin. Okay? Uh, Let's see my son here. My son Luke is uh, wrestling this year. You know, and you're wrestling against someone. If you wrestled against an opponent and the opponent just, you know, they start the match and you just lay there and let the other person pin you, okay? You're not struggling. And before you were a Christian and spiritually alive, we didn't struggle against sin. We just lay there and let sin pin us and have its way. But when you become a Christian, you start fighting back. Maybe you don't always win, but there's a fight that goes on. There's a struggle because God has has made you alive and started this change in your life. So it doesn't mean perfection. When it says in this passage, you will never fall, this means that you will persevere in your faith, that you're not going to completely reject God and turn away. There are people that profess to be believers for a time, but then they decide, well, I, I don't want this. I'm, I'm deconstructing from the faith. The Bible calls that apostasy. And the Bible says if you, if you do that, and if that's the real thing, that you were never really a believer to begin with. 
And I know that's true because 1 John 2.19 says, talking about false teachers, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us, but they went out that it might become plain that they are that they all are not of us. 1 John 2.19 That God will hold believers fast to the end and cause us to persevere. There may be ups and downs. And there might be times like Peter himself had. He denied Christ, remember that? In the Gospels. But he repented. He came back. God didn't let him go. And, and, got, and he turned back. So as real believers, when we fall into sin, when we fall away, we turn back because God keeps that hook in our heart. The Holy Spirit keeps working. He doesn't let us go. So it doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean that there's a change brought about by the Holy Spirit. He starts changing you from the inside out, empowering you to to do good works, changing you, changing your loves, changing your desires. And you see that in people. And sometimes it doesn't happen immediately or overnight, but it happens. And... um, Sometimes you can really see it, and it can be a really dramatic thing. Um, you know, I think of uh, my dad, who passed away a few months ago, and he owned a tavern because he loved drinking. And when he got saved, he, he was able to give that up. He was able to uh, sell the tavern, and God did a lot of change in his life that people in our community, they saw this. Uh, did he achieve perfection? No, he did not. And there's things that we all continue to struggle with. Um, Tomorrow I'm going to do Dan Ferris's funeral. And for a, a long time, he was uh, not a believer. And then, you know, Kalinda, others kept praying for him, started coming to church, sitting on the Word of God, and somewhere along the way, he turned to Christ. And I believe he is with the Lord because not just his profession of faith, but because he seemed to actually possess it too. And it was evidence there was change in that man. It was a beautiful thing to see. Is there change in your life that backs up that you really are saved? So this fruit, this works, this change, these are evidence of salvation, not the cause of salvation. That's really important to realize. Don't depend on your changed life as why you are saved. The real reason you're saved is because of what Jesus did in your place, and you receive it through faith. Your faith isn't even actually why you are saved. It's just how you've received what Jesus did for you. It's the finished work of Jesus Christ, the God-man in your place. That's what actually saves you. Christ alone, offering you the salvation grace alone, but you receive it through faith alone. But it's evidenced in a changed life. So think of it this way. Salvation, salvation is produced, it's received by faith alone, by faith plus nothing. Okay, it's repentant faith. Repentance is just the flip side of the same coin. Turning from our sin, turning to him. But it's received by faith alone. But assurance of salvation, we receive that by faith and fruit. The fruit to change life has a role in giving us more assurance. That you look to that, or maybe even better, you look to that with other believers. Maybe they see change that you don't see, and they can point to that and say, man, I see real change in you. We have to make sure that it's not just some kind of surface change. There are, there are false things. Some people get excited about God for a little while. Uh, some people 
Uh, back in the day, Jonathan Edwards talked about this, that there's uh, different uh, things that are inconclusive. Somebody can get excited and talk about God all the, a lot, but is that really a changed heart, or is that something else that's going on? But there are certain things that are the real deal, changed loves. Some of those, all of a sudden, this book goes from being this boring, dry thing that doesn't speak to you at all, or maybe it's just an intellectual exercise at most, to becoming truth, to becoming honey in your mouth, to becoming what warms your heart, because this is God, your God, your Savior speaking to you. That's a good sign when that's happening. If this book is cold to you, that's not a good sign. You start to love God, not just for the benefits that he gives you, but for who he is in himself. I mean, it doesn't take a born-again heart to love God for his benefits, but loving him even before and beyond the benefits, just who he is, seeing his beauty and his, his wonder and his majesty, treasuring him, God changing you from the inside out. If there's no fruit, yeah, you should be worried. And maybe it means that you need to get saved for real. Maybe there's something that was short-circuiting that. If after this message you are worried at all that you're not saved or you want to talk about this, I can tell you, uh, I would love to talk to you. Pastor Nick would love to talk to you. Our wives, if you're a lady, maybe you'd want to talk with them. We have deacons, other leaders. We'd love to talk to you. It'd be great to sit down for a while and probe with questions. What are you really trusting in and what's going on in your heart? And if you're not saved, we want to help you. Turn to Christ and have it be the real thing. Whether it's for the first time or to realize, okay, yeah, you can just grow in your assurance that you have this. If you have weak fruit, it's going to mean you have weak assurance. So the more you can grow in this, the more you're going to have better assurance in your life. If, you have weak, if you're saved but you have weak fruit, you look, it's going to be like inconclusive. It's like taking some kind of... Uh, um, you know, test for something, and I can't read. Is this line saying I, I'm testing positive or negative? I don't know. But that's part of the problem when we sin. When we're walking away from God, when we're walking in the darkness, you don't have the type of assurance, you won't, that you would have when you're walking with the Lord. One of the benefits of walking with the Lord in our life, sin doesn't take away salvation for a believer, but it can weaken assurance until you repent. To like Peter when he denied Christ, but he repented and came back, and he received assurance from, from the Lord. Let me point this out too. Nobody still living can ever know that they are not elect. Okay, so you can know that you are elect because you can know that you're saved, but you can never know that you're not elect. So you don't write off yourself. We don't know this. You don't know this about other people. If you're still alive, there's still opportunity, and you may be having your heart turned the wrong way and running away from him, but your story is not over. And I pray that God's going to get you. I pray that you're going to turn to him. That like, uh, like us, like people in scripture, that you know, Paul was seeking persecuting Christians and God changed him. He like spiritually tackled them down and, and turned him towards himself. And may God do that to you. I pray that he would. Just because you aren't saved now doesn't mean you won't get saved, and you ought to. And nothing keeps you from salvation except your own willing rejection of the Lord. You can't blame this on election. You can't blame it because the most that God does is he says, okay, you know, hands off. I'm, I'm going to let you do what you want to do. Our doctrinal statement talks about this. I want to bring this up because I think this is helpful. 
This is Article 11 on the freeness of salvation. And you see both this. You see it talking about election, but you also see this, this gospel offer that is, that is for everyone. We believe in God's electing grace. Okay? Okay, we do. Also, that the blessings of salvation are made free to all through the gospel, that it is the immediate duty of all to accept them by cordial, that means from the heart, penitent and obedient faith, and that nothing prevents the salvation of the greatest sinner on earth but his own inherent depravity, your sin, and voluntary rejection of the gospel. The only thing keeping you from salvation is that you are deciding to willfully reject it, which rejection involves him in an aggravated condemnation. We're sinners, and then when we reject the gospel, that's even more sin for us. So let's bring it down to this. If you want to make sure that you are elect, that you are called, that you are saved, if you want to know this, turn to Christ and be saved. That's what you need to do. That's a beautiful thing. You can confirm this. You can make this firm and sure for yourself and to know that God has done this, that he has called you, that he has elected you, that he has saved you. Turn to him. Receive Christ in faith. And then if it's real, you're going to see yourself starting to grow in this new life and you exhibit the fruit of this changed life. Dio Moody once said, put it like this, he said, the, the elect are the whoever wills, the non-elect are the whoever won'ts. And you know, he's not wrong. And my prayer for you is that you will be one of the whosoever wills, that you'll be saved, and that you'll grow in real firm assurance. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your salvation. It is not from us, and we do not deserve even a fraction of the glory for it. But thank you that you came to seek and save the lost, that you came to save sinners, that you came and that you died on the cross for sinners, and that anyone who will turn to you, Lord God, will be greeted by a Savior that has died on the cross for them and that is a sufficient Savior and that they will be saved and held fast by you forever unto glory. Lord, thank you for this. Lord, thank you for working under the surface in our hearts, Lord God. And Lord, anyone here that is still on the way, Lord, we pray that you would reach out with your grace, that their hearts would be made to respond to you, and that they would know that they have assurance of salvation because they've received this and as they see their lives being changed. We praise you. All glory to Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.